Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa sanawana ala ibadihi al-bina sofa ma ba'ad So we covered, um, no, sorry, I just looked up and I saw all these chairs now, <laughs> um, uh, we, we covered knowledge and beneficial knowledge. Uh, we talked about repentance. Uh, this next section, maybe this session and probably the next session after this, uh, the topic, the section is uh, on the etiquette of supplication. By the way, I'm not going in order. I'm just, I, I picked certain sections that I thought uh, would go well in a sort of a cohesive fashion. Um, and so the intention is, again, not to do a deep dive into this text, and it's not even to cover all of it. It's just to take a few lessons uh, for myself and for all of us from some of these wisdoms. So this next section is on the etiquette of supplication. So he says, لا يكون تأخر أمد العطاء مع الإلحاح في الدعاء موجبا ليأسك فهو ضمن لك الإجابة فيما يختاره لك لا فيما تختاره لنفسك وفي الوقت الذي يريد لا في الوقت الذي تريد Okay, so if you understand the Arabic, you'll, you'll kind of get a glimpse of some of the uh, poetic style that he uses. But the translation is, if, and this is on dua and supplication, if, in spite of intense supplication, there is a delay in the timing of the gift or the response, let that not be the cause for your despairing. For he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, has guaranteed you a response in what he Subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses for you, not in what you choose for yourself. And at the time that he, Allah, desires, not the time that you desire. I'll just repeat it. If, in spite of intense dua and supplication, there is a delay in the timing of the gift or the response, let's say, let that not be the cause for your despairing. Let that not be. If there's a delay in what you ask for from Allah through your dua, and it doesn't come to you immediately, let that not be a cause for your despairing and worry. Because, why? Because He, Allah, has guaranteed you a response. He's guaranteed a response in what He, subhanahu wa ta'ala, chooses for you, not in what you choose for yourself. And at the time that He desires for you, not in what you desire for yourself. Okay? So the commentator is going to expand upon this and we'll take some lessons. He says, uh, Many people contend that despite making abundant dua or supplication, their entreaties are not answered. And, and so now he gives an explanation of why we think this. Right? Some people think that when I make dua, Allah does not answer my dua. And it makes sense because we're taught to make dua, and our expectation is if I ask for something, I'm going to get it. Right? If I ask for a cup of milk, I'm going to get that cup of milk. If I go to a restaurant and I ask for, uh, I order a type of food, I'm going to get that type of food. If I am uh, you know, swiping on Amazon for a particular item, I'm expecting that that exact item is going to come. We're, we're used to being able to put in a request and get the response uh, that we ourselves have, um, uh, have requested. Right? Um, so then we take this and then we translate this principle and we apply it to our relationship with Allah. Okay, so now Allah, I, this is my laundry list of things I needed. Here's my grocery list. Here's my Amazon list. Here's my uh, order list from the restaurant. Here is, uh, you know, what? Now, Allah, here's my laundry list also. Um, and I'm going to swipe right and swipe left and lift my hands. And then I'm going to get this uh, response from you directly. Right? So we, we approach it the same way. So he kind of gives reasons for why we think this about dua. Some who have inculcated in themselves a degree of piety, Okay, hold on. Uh, yeah, some, so he says, some people who have inculcated themse in themselves a degree of piety, like they started becoming a little bit dini, they usually say 
that their supplications are not accepted because of their sins. Right? Now you become a little bit pious and you're like, I'm too sinful, Allah is not going to listen to me. This is my sins, my sins, my sins. There's no way Allah is ever going to accept my dua. This is clear. What's the point? They believe sin to be an impediment to the acceptance of supplication. They believe sin to be an impediment to the acceptance of supplication. Meaning, you know, uh, Allah won't accept my dua anyway. Look how sinful of a person I am. Then he says, some of the people who engage in the invocation of Allah, so now people who are maybe a bit more advanced in their deen, their thought is as follows. Some of the people who engage in the invocation of Allah, they call upon Allah, they do the dhikr of Allah, they're connected to Allah, they're also trapped in this thought, which is an inspiration of the devil. They feel that despite years of spiritual effort and invocation, their spiritual condition remains unchanged. I've made all this progress. I'm coming to your house, O oh Allah. I'm now praying consistently. I'm now doing my dhikr. I'm avoiding sin. I've, and and, and uh, uh, this, this, this is, uh, um, nothing's happening. No progress is being made in my duas. He says, they earnestly supplicate, but see no change in their moral or spiritual state. This attitude produces in them despair. The Shaykh Ibn Ata'illah answers these misgivings by saying that if the supplication does not materialize, despite earnestness and apparent humility being present during the dua, like I'm making dua and I'm uh, fervent in my dua and I'm earnest in my dua and I'm humble before Allah in my dua, we should not interpret this as a rejection by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala most high. Okay? Although Allah most high has promised to accept supplication he has not promised to grant whatever is supplicated for. Right? We know that when we call upon Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala is close and He does respond. He does respond. But it doesn't have to be in the exact same way that we want Him to respond. Allah Ta'ala does answer du'as, but it doesn't have to mean that He's going to answer it with the exact uh, request that we had put in. It will be responded to in some way. So we should feel confident that when I raise my hands before Allah and I make dua, it is, inshallah, being accepted. He says, <clears throat> Our knowledge and intelligence are not always adequate to comprehend what is beneficial and what's harmful for us. Right? Me make dua for things thinking that if I want a good job or I want this interview to go well or I want you know, this uh, dream house that I've been you know, wanting and now I've placed an offer on it and I begin to make dua for it and it doesn't work out, we begin to think, oh, this is Allah punishing me. Clearly this was what was best for me. I raised my hands and made dua to him and it didn't happen. This is my own weakness or this is sin or this is Allah not answering my duas. Right? Whereas the approach instead should be, uh, I actually don't know what's best for me. My job as a Muslim and as a follower of the Ummah, the Prophet ﷺ, is to raise my hands because that's what the Prophet ﷺ taught us to do. And what apparently seems to be the better option for me, based off of, I don't know, the way the rules of the world work, or based off of my own research, I make dua for that. But I cannot say for certain that I know that this, that I'm making dua for, is good for me. And it could be something as extreme as, oh Allah, cure me of this illness. Now you could say, that doesn't make sense. Of, of course, being cured of any illness is good for me. Or you make dua for a loved one. Oh, Allah, cure them of this illness. Um, that doesn't mean that curing that, we might think that 100% is good for them if they're cured of it and they're given shifa, but we don't actually know the reality. I mean, it's possible that someone's cured of an illness, which then causes their life to be more prolonged. And then because their life is prolonged, they begin to lose iman because of some exposure or some sin they fall into. And then they leave, the state, uh, they leave this world uh, and they're not in a state of iman. It's, it's possible. 
right? It, I might think that this, this happens so commonly. I might think that this job that I'm applying for, I absolutely want. And it's best for me because the income is good. The, the, it's a halal source. The place is close to my home. It, the, the company's stable. And I make dua for it. And I think, that absolutely, this is, what, this is exactly what's best for me. So I make dua for it, not recognizing it's, it's possible. It's possible that that place, that if, if I end up getting hired by that company, it could become a complete torture or torment for me. The company could go bankrupt. I'm out of a job in a couple of weeks. I get signed up and I get laid off. You know, I, um, uh, I join it and some scandal occurs and, you know, whatever. I, I'm humiliated. We, do, we just don't know what the future holds in store for us. So when we're making dua, we, we are going to make dua for what apparently seems beneficial. But we're not going to be fully invested in expecting that result to come back to me as well. Because we don't know what's good for us and what's bad for us. Only Allah Ta'ala knows. Our job is to make dua because that's what the Prophet taught us to do. And our job is to make dua because Allah will absolutely respond to it in some way, shape, or form. And then we'll come to what that means in just a moment. He says, Sometimes the object requested in our du'as is not for our good. Sometimes the object, I make du'a for this car, for this house, for this opportunity, for this home, for this family, for this spouse, whatever. Sometimes it's not for our good. Right? I mean, it's funny, this, this applies so much to marriage. You know, how many people, uh, for the first time in their life, prayed tahajjud and istikhara and made du'a for a particular spouse, and then two years later, they're making du'a that that marriage break. And then the istikhara and du'as and tahajjud, they're all coming right back full circle. Right? Like, so, I mean, it's, it, 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 it sounds funny, but this is, it's, not, it's not intended to be funny. I'm just saying this is the reality, is that we, we can't assume we know what's best for us. Only Allah does. So we do it, and we do it earnestly, but we also ultimately appreciate and recognize that I don't know, oh Allah, you know, I'm making dua, if this is what's best for me, give it to me, and if it's not, protect me from it. I mean, that's what the dua of istikhara is, literally, that's what the dua of istikhara is. So he says, sometimes the object requested is not for our good. Allah Ta'ala, most high, is most merciful to us. Understand that principle, and this goes back to the first topic from last night. If I don't know who Allah is, and that Allah Ta'ala cares about his believers, and he has a deep love for all of us, then yes, it's going to be hard for me to internalize this principle of dua. But if I know that Allah is on my side simply because I took the kalima la ilaha illallah and I put it in my heart, then the rest of this conversation is going to make sense to you and I. So he says, he knows, he, Allah, knows our needs more than we do. He knows our needs more than we do. I mean, think about it. You might say, well, that's obvious. Okay, uh, I mean, Allah created us. And every single organ in our body that's functioning right now was carefully designed by Allah. Carefully meaning not, no effort on his part, but it was meticulously designed by Allah. It's meticulously designed by Allah. I mean, do I know the needs of every single cell in my body right now? How much each individual cell needs and what ATP reactions need to occur? How, I don't know at this moment. Who's managing in the last 15 minutes? Who is managing your breath? In the last 15 minutes, were you keeping an eye on your heart to make sure it was still ticking? You know, in the last uh, you know, 15 minutes or the last 24 hours, were you monitoring your bowels to making sure they were moving appropriately? I'm, I wasn't managing mine. Were you managing yours? I don't think, I don't think we were doing that. Who was taking care of us in, in, the, in that time? Because we're too busy. We, I mean, there's, uh, we can't attend to all these things at once. You know, we can't attend to all of this while we're driving our car and while we're with our kids and while we're asleep. For those eight hours, if I had to monitor every single organ in my body while I was sleeping, I would never sleep. So, he knows our needs more than we do. That should be crystal clear to us. 
he withholds the object we are supplicating for in view of it being harmful. If Allah Ta'ala is not going to give me exactly what I'm asking for, he's holding it in view of it potentially, or it being harmful for me, not potentially, this is Allah. Instead, something better and beneficial will be given. Okay, so he's going to talk about what that means. The meaning of the divine promise of accepting dua, meaning when someone says Allah accepts your duas, what does that mean? What does that actually mean? It means that Allah Ta'ala Most High will grant supplications and fulfill supplications according to His wisdom and choice. So when we say that Allah will accept your dua or Allah will accept my dua, make dua, He will absolutely accept it, but it's according to His wisdom of what's best for me or for the people around me or for the world as a whole and by His choice as well. Sometimes the object requested is awarded and sometimes it's withheld. So if I ask for something and it is what's best for me, Allah Ta'ala will give it to me and that's it, right? Uh, sometimes, perhaps something better, uh, in other situations, perhaps something better will be awarded either in this world or in the next. So an alternative possibility is that I ask Allah Ta'ala, let's say, I mean, let's give an example. I, um, I don't know, I, I have... Um, um, a need. Um, I, I don't want to narrow it down to an example, but let's let's say I ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala for uh, this particular job, right? Because this is the job I've been researching. Everything seems to fit, etc. So if it's what's best for me, best for my family, best for my situation, Allah Taala will give it to me, right? It'll give it to me. I answer the call of the caller when he calls. This from the Quran. I answer the call of the caller when he calls. Allah will give it to me. Um, but sometimes, maybe it's not what's best for me. So what will Allah do? He'll give me something better in return. So maybe six months down the road, a better work opportunity comes for me. Or maybe a year down the road, an even better uh, uh, employment opportunity comes my way. And it's only you know, many years later where I realized, like, oh, subhanAllah, you know, good thing that first dua didn't work out. Like, you know, I didn't get exactly what I asked for. Like, what was I thinking? You know, I was asking for a salary of 75K, and now Allah's giving me a 150K salary. Well, if, if I wanted my, it my way, I would, from a dunyawi perspective, I would have gotten uh, much less. Thank God Allah Ta'ala knows what's best for me and he gave me something better, better than that. Right? Um, or some earthly disaster is averted. Right? The other possibility, another, another possibility is that I ask Allah Ta'ala for this job and he doesn't give it to me now. He doesn't give it to me later. But what he does, he protects me from other difficulty that, some, another difficulty that was going to come my way. Maybe some major power outage was going to affect my house. Maybe my child was going to develop some illness and Allah Ta'ala protected me from it because of the dua that I made for something that was completely unrelated. Another, that's another possibility. Um, uh, sometimes... Uh, the very object supplicated for is given, but at some time in the future. I already gave that example. The reason for delaying the fulfillment of the supplication or the dua is that in the divine wisdom, the immediate awarding of the object requested is fraught with either a religious or worldly harm. Right? Because I don't know. Now, the ulama mentioned, he doesn't mention this here, but the other possibility is that Allah Ta'ala hears our dua, he wants to reward us, but he would rather reward the believer in the akhirah because no matter what Allah Ta'ala gives us in this world, it's not going to compete with any reward in the hereafter. This is, this is from another hadith, as, from, from a hadith as well, um, that mentions that uh, sometimes Allah Ta'ala will withhold something from us in this world that we maybe want or ask for because it would be foolish, and not foolish, it's um, the, 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 the prize or the reward that we would be able to receive in the hereafter will be far more lasting and beneficial for us than anything we could receive in this world. 
And so sometimes Allah Ta'ala will give the people that care about this dunya what they want in this dunya. Because it's just going to disappear and dissipate anyway. And for the believers that he cares about the most, he withholds all these blessings in this world because he'd much rather please us in the akhirah when it's actually going to matter and last much longer. It's a manifestation of Allah's love. The withholding of Allah Ta'ala from our, of blessings, apparent blessings in this world for his close believers is actually an expression of Allah's love because he does not want us to waste this sort of reward in this world thinking that we've gotten something. He'd much rather give us a more... Uh, incredible experience in the akhirah. Um, does that make sense? Okay, so the final commentary on this. So, um, Sheikh Abdullah Gungu, he says, the servant should, therefore, refrain from implanting, <laughs> this, is, this is brilliant, should refrain from employing his intelligence in issues that Allah Most High decides. The servant should refrain, therefore, from employing his intelligence in issues that Allah Most High decides. He should be constant in his supplication and not despair of acceptance. Look, I think this part partly comes because of our academic nature. We live in a Western society, and we like to analyze every single thing. You know, cause, effect, RCA, root cause analysis for every single thing that happens. Uh, and, and we as Muslims do this a lot. Or we ourselves do this in our own minds a lot. We try to analyze every single situation and that includes our du'as but why wasn't it accepted is it because the sunnah I performed last week is it the one from two weeks ago is it because of this state is it because my hands weren't raised high up enough is it because I didn't make it at the masjid I made it at home is it uh, forget about all that du'a is an opportunity for us to use whenever we want wherever we want absolutely you know, but we like to analyze the situation and figure out why it didn't happen. You know, we don't do, and, and Muslims, we, we often do this not just with du'as, we do this with dreams. Some dream comes, and we become obsessed about figuring out what the interpretation of the dream was, and we'll be thinking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks, and think, and ultimately it could just be a complete nothing, right? We do this with, um, uh, you know, difficulties and calamities in the world, and everyone wants to figure out exactly why it happened, not just putting things aside and saying, uh, you know what, uh, Allah's in charge. Allah's in charge. There, there is some deeper wisdom behind it. Even if you and I cannot figure it out, it does not negate the fact that Allah Ta'ala caused things to happen. Right? So we have to feel comfortable with this uncertainty. The servant doesn't need to concern him or herself. We don't need to concern ourselves with analyzing every single thing that happens in our life and wondering, was, did this cause this and that cause that? And was this a reaction to this? Put that aside. That's not our job. Allah decides all those things. Our job is to be a servant of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who dictates the outcomes that are going to come in this world. And we have to feel content and we have to feel comfortable with that. So he says he should be constant in his supplication and not despair of acceptance. Okay. Let's cover um, one more and then we'll break if we have time for questions and then, and then it'll be time for dhuhr inshallah. He says, لا تتعدى نية همتك إلى غيره فالكريم لا تتخطاه لا تتخطاه الآمال Let not the intention We're still talking about supplications and du'as Let not the intention of your aspiration to shift to what is other than he meaning Allah for one's hopes cannot outstrip the generous meaning we will never be able to ask for more than what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be able to give. Right? So he's saying our attention should be focused on Allah because he will be able to fulfill better than anyone else can. And no one and, and, and he'll give examples of this. He is the most generous. Don't ever think that Allah Ta'ala cannot give me more than what I need. 
right? That's the, that's the summary. He says, an honorable person will place his needs in front of a gracious benefactor. He does not go to a dishonorable person for his needs. In this world, if you and I need something, we're going to go to that person that we trust the most, that person that we think can help us the most. If I'm in financial difficulty, I'm going to go to that person who I think can potentially help me. I'm not going to go to the person who's bankrupt, who they themselves are having financial issues. Why am I going to go to that person? If I'm going to someone because I need some help psychologically, I'm going to go to someone that they themselves are a bit stable so that they can assist and guide me and provide for me or, or what I may need. Um, so that's what I do in this world. So he says, the true gracious benefactor is none other than Allah Ta'ala Most High. And he gives, and the commentator says, Allah forgives a criminal despite possessing the power to punish him. And when Allah makes a promise, he honors it. And when Allah gives, he gives more than expected. Right? So he's, saying, he's building the case, the commentator is building the case, that why would you and I need to look anywhere other than Allah Ta'ala to fulfill our needs? That's the case that he's building. Meaning that the true gracious benefactor, Allah, is none other than Allah Most High. Because Allah forgives a criminal despite possessing the power to punish him. We struggle with this. Allah Ta'ala does this constantly. This is going to happen in the Day of Judgment as well. That Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is going to overlook transgression after transgression after transgression for his believers. Right? Of course he's adil. He'll be just at times. right? But we know that this is also going to happen. If he has the ability or he has uh, this desire to forgive those that are criminals against him, right? and when Allah Ta'ala makes a promise, he honors it. I mean, it's hard to find in this day and age. Look around. I mean, don't, don't, don't actually look around. But just think about all the promises that people, individuals, societies, workplaces, politicians, look at all the promises that they've made to you and I, right? Even in our own family. And how many of us can say that, wow, everyone's great at fulfilling their promises? In fact, the opposite. We're at this point, you know, many of us are at this point where we're like, I don't know who to turn to anymore because everyone's just either a liar, everyone's either, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to say that, you know, there aren't good people in the world, but to find an individual that is consistently fulfilling the promises that they keep, it's really hard to find that. But Allah has that quality. And uh, when He gives, when Allah gives, He gives more than expected. Uh, human beings, we want to take more than we ever give, right? If I, if I, uh, my, my, my employer is offering me a $50,000 salary to do X amount of work, I will never, I will not ever think about doing more than that because I'm only going to do exactly what I need to get that salary. In fact, I want my employer to give me a bonus at the end of the year rather than the opposite. Because that's just a human nature. We tend to want to take more than we want to give. Society in general, we come to the masjid and we want to take from the masjid. We want to pray here. We want you know, it to be clean. We want the bathrooms to be washed. We want you know, the doors to be a certain way. We want everything to be so perfect because I want to take, 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 take. Right? But you know, who's here giving to the masjid? A fraction of the community is giving to the masjid so that other people can take? So human beings generally have this, but Allah is different. He gives more than he takes consistently. He forgives more than he punishes consistently. And he is um, uh, the one who, makes, who honors every promise that he makes. Right? Every promise that he makes. And so much so that in the Quran, uh, Shaitan himself says that on the Day of Judgment or after all of this is done, uh, Shaitan himself says that the promise of Allah is the absolute truth. The promise that I made all of you, I deceived you. Shaitan himself is going to openly declare 
to all of us that I made you a promise and I deceived you, but guess what? The promise of Allah is absolutely true. Shaitan, the biggest enemy, the biggest enemy, right? Forget anyone, forget, forget uh, you know, the, the, think about any uh, enemy in the world. The biggest enemy, Shaitan himself, is going to acknowledge that Allah's promise was true. And I fooled all of you thinking that my promise was true. So this is Allah, right? So he says, whoever comes within the confines, he, he's, not, he, <laughs> subhanAllah, he's not even done praising Allah. I mean, how could we ever be done with it, right? He continues, whoever comes within the confines of his refuge, Allah's refuge, he does not destroy him. He has no need for intercessors. Allah has no need for intercessors, whereas we have a need for intercessors, right? I mean, if, uh, I mean, the day of judgment, we know we need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we need the Prophet to intercede for us. In this world, when we need to get things done, sometimes you have to bring other people into the picture. We need people to intercede for us. These attributes, par excellence, exist only in Allah Most High. Hence, the Shaykh Ibn Atta'illah instructs the traveler, and the traveler means the Sadiq, all of us who are traveling the spiritual journey to Allah, instructs the traveler to direct his attention only to Allah Most High for his needs. Only to Allah Most High for his needs. Now, of course, he's going to continue. He says, when asking someone for something, if reliance, so now I have a need, you know, I need, I don't know, apples from Kroger, and I, I'm not going to sit at home and just make dua, and then those apples are magically going to appear before me, right? So he's going to address um, uh, a potential misconception people may have. When asking someone for something, if reliance is on that person, and Allah Ta'ala Most High is forgotten, then such asking will be a negation of the rank of servanthood. If I think that when some good comes my way or some request of mine is fulfilled, a doctor treats me, an employer hires me, a teacher teaches me, uh, a grocery store provides me for my, for my groceries, etc. Um, uh, if, if I think that if I'm relying on these individuals to, get, to give me the good that I need and I've forgotten Allah, then that such asking will be a negation of the rank of servanthood. However, if the person is considered only as the external or mundane means created by Allah Most High, right? But complete reliance is only on Allah, then such asking will not be in conflict with servanthood. Okay? So, I mean, I know it might seem like common sense, but it's worth just mentioning this and repeating it too. That there's nothing wrong with seeking help from others um, or even, you know, relying on others. Uh, as long as we appreciate that ultimately even they are in the control and at the dispense of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, I mean, if, 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 if a doctor heals us, it's a shifa that Allah ta'ala is going to put into their hands or into their minds that will be able to cure us. And if our barista is able to give us, you know, the best cup of coffee, it's not because of, you know, it's because of the intellect Allah put in their, in their head and in their mind. And the, uh, the, um, the, the um, I was just the word shifa, you know, for, because coffee is a, a medication and a drug for some people. It's a shifa he put in their hands to be able to produce that latte for you and I, right? And uh, I mean, just example after example after example. While we acknowledge the need in this world, the sunnah of Allah being that there are people and intermediaries that help facilitate things for us. That's acceptable as long as we ultimately attribute um, everything back to the permission and the support and the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So um, with that, inshallah, we'll conclude uh, this, um, this section. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant you and I the tawfiq to, um, to make dua to him regularly and abundantly. 
May Allah Ta'ala allow us to be patient with the du'as that we make toward him and allow us to um, uh, to to receive reward for it either in this life or in the hereafter or in whatever other way he deems appropriate for us. And may Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala allow us to be fully dependent upon him uh, both in times of need and in times of ease. So we'll take questions maybe for about uh, five minutes and then we can, yeah, yep. Uh, they have choices as well. I mean, in the case of Iblis and Shaytan, you know, this is coming from arrogance. I mean, everything comes from, uh, for, in this case, it's from arrogance. Um, um, Shaytan made a decision that he didn't want to follow the command of Allah when he said to bow down to Adam alayhi salam, or Iblis did. And um, as a result, he made a promise that from that day forward, he's going to mislead um, all of humanity, and he's been pretty successful at doing so. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, you know, deep down inside, he doesn't know there's an Allah, and most certainly he's going to tell us in the hereafter that I fooled all of you. Now, why is this, this the design that Allah used to allow the world? I mean, I don't know, and we don't need to analyze that, right? This is, the, this is, the, this is, this is Allah's wisdom. This is how he's uh, sort of designed things to play out. Our job is not to try to sort out why. Our job is to accept it and move forward recognizing that shaitan is an avowed enemy to us, um, and we have to just focus our attention back toward Allah Ta'ala. Yeah, okay, so the question is, what are we making du'a for? So for instance, there should be priorities in what we're making du'a for. Uh, at the top of the list is going to be his mercy, his forgiveness, his acceptance of my efforts, his uh, acceptance of my ibadah, etc. And for that, there's no doubt that you and I should be as fervent as possible in that, because there is, I mean, that's obviously something that we, you and I need. Um, it, there's no khair in com it, it, there's no khair coming to us by us being thrown into the fire of Jahannam, you know, asking that Allah Taala keep our last breath uh, in this world in a state of iman. There's absolutely no doubt. So the, f the fervor by which we make those du'as is going to be at a hundred percent. Now, the fervor that we're going to make for matters pertaining to the dunya, they don't need to be to that degree. So, if it apparently seemed obvious to us that this is what's best for me based off of research, maybe istikhara, etc., then I'll make dua that, oh Allah, please, you know, make this happen, etc. In the case, for instance, of healing from illness, that's a pretty obvious one where apparently it seems to be good, but there's a possibility it may not be. So, maybe that'll be a little bit more. In cases when, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty with marriage, work, career, you know, all these things. Uh, maybe we, that's toned down a bit. In that situation, make dua to Allah, this apparently seems what's best for me. I don't know what's best, but this apparently seems best. If it's best for me, please give it to me. And if it's not what's best for me, keep it away from me. And I think that's the beauty of praying istikhara for a lot of the things that we make dua for in this world. Because the dua of istikhara, not only is it to help make us the decision, but it's also a dua in and of itself. right? So Allah Ta'ala, now what you're doing is you start off by thinking one way and you end the dua by re realizing, you know what, as long as Allah takes care of me, now I'm happy. So you've done kind of both things at once. Yeah, I mean, and so, that, the, so essentially, you know, what you're saying is the, uh, the, the Arabic, which is the wording of the Prophet which is, which is perfect, because I think Khura mentioned this morning too, that like the Prophet didn't come up with istikhara by looking, he didn't look in a library and figure out this is the new, this was what was in his heart. So when it comes to especially matters of dunya, uh, in his heart, there's things that apparently are good and may not be good. So let me relegate this matter to Allah. In the process, I'm making dua for what's khair for me, so I'm getting what I need. So maybe I'm going to be a little bit less aggressive about those things in the dunya. Um, so does, does that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I'm the general. Uh, uh, so look, um, adab is essential for everything. We talked about the adab of uh, approaching the salah before time. The dua, the adab of dua is also important because, and we learn it from the sunnah of the Prophet. So the adab is important. So 
yes, there is, you know, you can make dua lying down in bed, but there's something special and unique about making dua facing the qibla, sitting on the ground, and if, if, if you're able, sitting on the ground facing the qibla, uh, adorned in the sunnah, the Prophet and then calling on Allah. There's something special about that. There's an adab behind that that you're manifesting. Um, so that's important. The circumstances and the environment is important, right? There's an adab. When you, when you decide you really need something, and let's say, I really need the forgiveness of Allah. There's an adab in saying, I'm now going to travel, you know, whatever, 15 hours to the house of Allah, and I'm going to stand in front of his home, in front of the Kaaba, and I'm going to beg for it over there, versus in the comforts of my own home, right? There's an adab behind that. That's something special. So uh, that's the environmental adab. The actual dua itself, it's simple. I mean, you just start with praising Allah um, and uh, sending salawat in the Prophet and then you present whatever you need to present before Allah. And then you want to conclude it by the praise of Allah and praise of the Prophet ﷺ as well, or, or vice versa, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yes. And his du'as are accepted, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, this, yeah, I was waiting for someone to bring this up. Yeah, no, you're right. So, um, what uh, uh, Sheikh Abdullah is mentioning here is not, uh, it's, it's sometimes we get lost in this, uh, people of piety in particular, they get stuck in thinking that everything that I, there's no, they become, they start to despair in this, okay? So, is there a reality that if my consumption is haram, my food is haram, my work is haram, and now I'm expecting Allah to answer me, my du'as will be accepted, that comes from hadith 100%, and that's true, right? But to obsess over that for the common person may not be the best, right? Um, so, what that means practically, let me be practical here, is that, yes, I do have to be mindful of the sins I commit, I have to be mindful of my income, my clothing, my home, etc. Uh, one, because it's a fard, and two, because I can't, um, because, because the Hadith Prophet mentions that. Um, but once I've reached that point, I shouldn't be thinking after that that if the du'as are not being accepted because of my sins, etc., etc., etc. Does that make sense? So he's trying to create a balance is what he's trying to do. Some people get so caught, even though they have a halal income, they have a halal this, they still think there's no way Allah is listening to me because I'm a terrible person. But they've already addressed those fara'id. And what you're talking about is a fard. The hadith mentions a fara'id. Their halal uh, income, their f- halal food. Uh, these all are, are fara'id that we have to maintain regardless of dua. But even when we maintain those things, some people still think that Allah Ta'ala is never going to listen to me. Thank you for... I'm glad you brought it up because I, I needed to clarify that. I, for, I, haven't, I haven't meant to, but I forgot. <laughs>